I think the Tigers certainly have the talent to go all the way, but I won't be surprised at all if they get bounced in the first round. Good morning, and welcome to episode 307 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Ben, how are you? Okay. Um, just uh, left over from yesterday, uh, as you as you all recall, I emailed Gabe Kapler to find out whether bunting repeatedly at a uh, at a wounded third baseman would be a breach of unwritten rules, mm-hmm. and Gabe did not think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess a team could do it. I um, so that's nice to know. That's nice to know that that is one rule that has not yet been unwritten. Uh, although I am curious, I, I, w- I would like to see someone do it just because I would like to see what the reaction would be because it, it does feel like it has all the the elements of an unwritten rule waiting to be not written mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that it would be uh, it would be sort of an effective but not quite natural way of playing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be it seems like the sort of thing that. Um, like like C.J. Wilson would have an issue with. This is this seems like the sort of thing C.J. Wilson is always complaining about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wonder if uh, if players would have a problem with it. But I'm all but certain that at least one columnist <laughs> would have a problem with it. Yeah, probably. There was some discussion of it in the Facebook group, and there were people on on both sides arguing the issue. But I I guess I'm going to go with the the major leaguer. Probably has yeah, the best no, idea. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 I believe, uh, I believe that Gabe is, is, is probably correct uh, mm-hmm. as to the state of the, of the rule. Um, it, it also seems interesting to wonder whether it would be a different response depending on the third baseman. If it were Alex Rodriguez playing third base, I don't know that anybody would be moaning for him. If it were, um, you know, like uh, Unieski Betancourt or you know Joaquin Arias, mm-hmm. I'm not sure anybody would care. But Miguel Cabrera is um, seems to be beloved, beloved, and he is playing. Uh, you know, he, he's got this sort of hero narrative uh, about him because he's playing through the pain. So I would imagine that a lot of people have invested uh, emotionally in that narrative, um, and uh, so it might it might go down worse if it were Miguel Cabrera. Okay, because it's not just that he's. It's not. It's not. If they were bunting at him because he was a bad defensive third baseman, I think that would probably go by without a without a mm-hmm. without a uh, a mention mm-hmm. but he's uh you know he's he is playing through pain and that doesn't necessarily have to be held up as this great achievement or this great moral act but it is mm-hmm. uh, you know various I, i've heard it repeatedly during various games so anyway uh, uh can i ask can I, yeah, yeah do you want to say something i was, I I was gonna question? go back to a couple other old pieces of business okay. so whatever sure. you want um, no, okay, so last week I, I talked about Jafet Amador, the, the Astros prospect, who was gigantic, who I saw down at the AFL, and I mentioned that he was listed at 215 pounds and that it was completely ridiculous, and we were speculating about how that happened. Um, it turns out that he's, his official weight is 315 uh, at at minorleaguebaseball.com, he's listed at 315, and also at Baseball Prospectus, he's listed at 315. Uh, but at Baseball Reference, he's listed at 215. I'm guessing maybe this was just a case where Sean Foreman was like looking at the data one day and saw someone at 315 and just thought it was a typo or something and fixed it. Um, this man is so fat. I'm looking at him now. <laughs> I don't think even for the first time. I don't even think those pictures do him justice. I, 
He is so he has, fat. He just has no waist. He's just... <laughs> he's, it's really incredible. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> and just <laughs> to see him in action just up close was like... It's interesting because if I saw him... I mean, if I saw him on the street, I wouldn't think twice. He, he, doesn't, look, mm-hmm. he doesn't look like an unnormal human being. <laughs> but he looks so odd on the field. He yeah. looks... Uh, you know, he is the the opposite end of the Altuve spectrum, right? He just looks yeah. odd next to anybody else. There is nobody else on the field who makes him look like he fits in. Yeah, and I picked him to write a report on because he's just so strange that I wanted to try to figure out whether he was whether he's actually a player. And I kind of concluded that I I didn't think so, uh, but I couldn't look away. There were all these top prospects on the field that I should have been paying attention to, but I just. I couldn't really tear my eyes away from Amador. Anyway, uh, 3.15 seems to be his official weight, at least according to some sources. I have tweeted at Sean Foreman to see if I can get his weight raised to 3.15 on Baseball Reference because it seems like a, a shame not to have it listed at that at that correct and, and unbelievable weight. Um, you should try to get a, a nickname for him on Baseball Reference, too. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll think of some. Okay. Maybe. I mean, yeah. not right now. <laughs> no, not right now. Write uh, yeah. in if you have a good nickname for him. Um, and then the other thing. I mean, it's the. It seems like the obvious thing would would just be to call him like like fat, fat, like like fat, because he's got he's got fat almost in his name. Yeah. Right. Like, like with a with a ph. Matt Adams, fat Adams. That's the. Yeah. yeah. Like like there's got to be something with fat where it's spelled with a ph or something like that. But anyway. <laughs> Um, the other thing I came across this, this... I only call Matt Adams Patch Adams. Is, is that not the going nickname for... <laughs> no, I don't think so. For Matt Patch Adams? Nope. Um, okay. The other thing I came across this study, and I don't think it's actually a new study, but I saw it linked today, uh, about... It's called um, When Corrections Fail, the Persistence of Political Misperceptions. And I was thinking of it because it kind of reminds me of the discussion that we had with Brian Kenny, where we were asking him whether he's found people to be receptive to his views and whether he's actually able to persuade people to to adopt his viewpoint or whether they just kind of uh, retrench and, and just, you know, subscribe to their own viewpoint that they came into the argument with even more. And so this thing is about uh, it's called the backfire effect, which is what results when you argue something with a person and present arguments that counteract or contradict their, their view. And yeah, their, their opinions get stronger. Yes. Right. Uh, so, so this was, they did it with political beliefs. I, I would guess that it applies also to baseball beliefs. Uh, but it was like, you know, they, they surveyed people on what their political beliefs were and then they presented them with negative information about some, some political candidate of the party that that they vote for, and instead of being persuaded by that, they just uh, it strengthened their resolve. Um, and the the explanation explanation was uh, they interpret the backfire effect as a possible result of the process by which people counter argue preference incongruent information and bolster their pre existing views. If people counter-argue unwelcome information vigorously enough, they may end up with more attitudinally congruent information in mind than before the debate, which in turn leads them to report opinions that are more extreme than they otherwise would have had, um, yeah. which suggests that maybe 
telling Harold Reynolds all season that wins are not a good stat uh, has maybe just makes him even more inclined to to think that wins are a good stat. But uh, it it also, it goes on to say, it's important to note that the account provided above does not imply that individuals simply believe what they want to believe under all circumstances and never accept counter-attitudinal information. Uh, And basically it says that if the, if there's enough negative information provided, eventually the the person acquiesces to it. Um, so, yeah, individuals who are confronted with information of sufficient quantity or clarity should eventually acquiesce to a preference inconsistent conclusion. Uh, gotta love the, the academic language. But basically, uh, if you if you hammer home the argument enough and they hear it in enough places, eventually they can be persuaded and their mind can be changed. So uh, yeah. maybe Brian's right that we should all be we should all be pushing these things, and that's the only way it'll work. There was a – I meant to bring this up uh, during that episode, and I, I forgot to, but there was an article that Ezra Klein wrote for The New Yorker about how a president can sway public opinion on his issues, the issues he cares about. And it seems like all the research suggests that the the best way to do it is to never mention it because as soon as the president opens his mouth, uh, half the country uh, – immediately identifies in itself in opposition to him. Mm-hmm. And so the the more a president uses his sort of bully pulpit to try to raise awareness of an issue, the stronger the opposition to it gets, mm-hmm. no matter what the issue is. So basically the, the best thing a president can do is just shut his mouth and like work really quietly legislatively to try to get something to happen, but never actually like give a speech or talk about the imperative or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how I feel when I see um, like like uh, loud conversations about like the importance of a, a particular sabermetric uh, viewpoint. I just I I figure it's probably uh, safer to you know to to not give people something to be opposed to, and to just sort of uh, you know go about your life and make it a part of uh, the way that you analyze things, and um, to have it subtly uh, seep into the consciousness through general peer pressure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. Uh, one more thing from yesterday, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, we talked about whether any hitter has ever come out and said, oh, yeah, I was trying to hit a home run. Yes. And somebody somebody pointed out that Matt Stairs uh, said this, like that, that Matt Stairs said that's all he ever does. <laughs> uh, I'll see if I can uh, pull it up. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, there was an uh, – yeah. So this is Corinne who wrote uh, – who found an, an article from 2008 in which Matt Stairs was quoted as saying, my whole career, even back in the early days, my approach was try to hit the ball out of the park, and it's something I enjoyed doing. <laughs> in batting practice, I try to hit every ball out of the ballpark. I'm not going to lie. It's fun. <laughs> I try to hit home runs, and that's it. I'm not going to hit a single and steal second base. The biggest thing is to get up there, swing hard, and elevate. Um, and Matt Stairs, I, uh, this reminds me that Matt Stairs is also uh, the answer to a question I once asked an agent when I asked if, if, if he'd ever had a player who just said, get me the most money, I don't care where it is, and the agent thought about it and said, yeah, Matt Stairs. <laughs> and I miss Matt Stairs. He was fun. Yeah. Do you think that Matt Adams is the new Matt Stairs? Um, he seems like a straightforward fellow. Just kind of, <laughs> just kind of goes up there. I, I mean more. I mean more as. I mean more as like combination of body type, player or, type, yeah, player type, uh, skill set, and public uh, adoration. Yeah, there's potential there. He he has to play for like ten teams probably and hit some big pinch hit homers, but he's he has the profile. 
yeah, he's, he hit, I imagine that both of those things will happen. <laughs> the question is whether he will be limited to that. You know who Matt Adams reminds me of more than anything? Amador. No, Chris Carter. Those guys, to me, like they have this same sort of weird swing that doesn't seem like it's in the zone very long, mm-hmm. but they're giant, and so when they connect, it goes forever. Mm-hmm. But it just like you watch them swing, and you think that will never hit a baseball. <laughs> yeah. Well, All right. Carter rarely can I, rarely does. Can I get to my question? Now? Sure. Well, this might be the end of the show. I might just ask you this question, and then we'll decide we've had enough. Um, I want you to wait. I don't know if this. It probably doesn't work as a question. So never mind. <laughs> I'm going to just tell you. I'm going to tell you the answer to the question. I was going to have you guess the median pitching line for a starting pitcher in this postseason. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it seems like there's been a lot of pitching. But it's too hard to get. There's too many components of it. So okay. I'm just going to tell you what the median pitching line is. Uh-huh. Uh, the the median pitching line in this postseason is Mike Miner, who beat Clayton Kershaw. Oh, no, sorry. Who beat Zach Greinke uh, in, I think, game two of the NLDS. Miner went six and a third, allowed eight hits, one walk, one run, it was earned, struck out five. That, by game score, is the median pitching line. And that's a really good line. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good. Huh. It's a little bit deceptive because there's a lot of hits there. There's a, it's left, there's mm-hmm. a lot of left on bases there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually the median game score is 57, which isn't that extreme. I think that during the regular season it was 54. And so, like, Mike Miner has a line that, it, that looks better than a normal 57. Mm-hmm. and game scores are kind of always a little bit above 50. So it's it's a little bit of a uh, conniving fun fact, mm-hmm. but I uh, thought I would share it with you anyway. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, right. So I've been listening to some other podcasts that I listened to, catching up on older episodes because I, I wasn't listening to any podcasts while I was out in Phoenix, and so I've, I've listened to a few playoff preview shows, uh, that have previewed series that are already over or are ongoing now. And they're, they're all wrong. (laughs) They're all terribly, terribly wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You know, nothing wrong with the, the process of the previewing smart people saying perceptive things, but just completely wrong. Just (laughs) all wrong. Um, Examples. And it makes, no, I, I'm sure we, if we had previewed anything, we would have been all wrong. It's just, we did preview things. You wrote a previous series and I wrote a previous series. Yeah. I guess the the one. Do you want to pause? Should we pause this and then go read each other's and then find one thing to make fun of? <laughs> the one thing that we previewed on the podcast, I think, was the the Reds Pirates wildcard game, and that turned out to be fairly accurate. Um, but I, I I guess it's mostly just I mean this this Cardinals Dodgers series that I'm writing about. I, certainly the the fact that one team is up to one is not surprising, but the way that it's happened really has been pretty surprising. I mean, you would have you would have predicted probably the opposite outcomes for every every game. Like the Dodgers lost the the Granke yeah. and Kershaw games and the Cardinals lost the Wainwright game and I, you know, the Cardinals played pretty sloppily tonight. They made they made a few a few mistakes, many of them by John Jay who's had a, a pretty terrible series defensively and not great offensively either. Um, and then there was also the, the Descalso base running mistake where he got doubled off, uh, on a liner. And then there was the, the Colton Wong not throwing directly to the plate 
when they had a play on Crawford and I don't know none of none of these things is is predictable you 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 wouldn't have no. predicted that that each team would lose the game started by its really good starter where they had a, a mismatch with the other team starter you wouldn't have predicted that the Cardinals would make a bunch of fundamental mistakes yeah I don't know just I mean what are we even doing here yeah <laughs> it's true there there's there's nothing to really confirm here. I guess you could say, like the Cardinals, the back of the Cardinals bullpen has been really good. Yeah, you might you might have mentioned that in a in a preview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you might have mentioned that Michael Young isn't very good at pinch hitting. But yeah, yeah there's not there's not a lot of stories that have uh, that have that have come true. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing here? <laughs> I don't know. Um... I don't know. I wish I had a, a takeaway from it. I've been watching these these games and trying to pick out some things, but there's not there's not a whole lot that I've noticed that has a whole lot of predictive power. It doesn't seem like it's just sort of pitchers are pitching well. I, I don't. I mean, is the the fact that there's been so little run scoring in these two series and so many innings without hits and the Dodgers going 22 innings without scoring is that reflective of anything or is that just it's a few games and it happens i I mean scoring is is lower in in the playoffs i guess because of the weather if anything and i know we've we've kind of argued about the weather good pitching beats good hitting thing before and i don't really think it does and you kind of thought it it does i guess if i remember right um but uh, i don't know i don't know what to say it's just uh it's been good good baseball it's been fun to watch and probably the the teams that the most people would have picked before the season are the ones that are still playing and and that's sort of nice to see I like to see strong teams being rewarded by going deep into the playoffs but uh as for the actual outcomes of the game it's it's just kind of variance and unpredictability what we usually say about the playoffs are are you following what uh, what Carlos Beltran and Adam Wainwright are complaining about? Uh, today? No. What what happened? Me, me neither. I'm I'm only seeing reactions to them saying something. Like I don't. <laughs> um, this is bad podcasting. <laughs> I was hoping you would have an answer. <laughs> Apparently they've uh, they've they've called unwritten rules on the Dodgers. Oh, Puig. I don't know. Oh, I see. I see a tweet. Beltran on Puig. Uh, when you try to do those things, you get attention. You don't want to wake up nobody. I guess <laughs> I guess that's referring to Puig pimping his triple. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. So he pimped a triple. Yeah, he. So that's he, what it was. He thought it was gone. He put his arms up and and did a slow trot, and then he sort of he like kept pimping it with one hand, and then <laughs> started running with the other hand for a while down first baseline, and then eventually really started running and he made it to made it to third standing uh despite coming out of the box really really slowly just because he's he's Puig and he doesn't need to get a good jump he can still get to third standing up but um I don't know eh. unwritten rules I mean Puig uh and I, Puig also did a thing where he he didn't slide into second to break up a double play and he got a little bit of abuse on about that on the broadcast, but I don't know, remember when we were talking about uh, it was the episode where we had Russell on and we were talking about 
all the hot takes about Puig. And I read those quotes from the Plasky article, or maybe it was the Scott Miller article, where he was saying that for every win Puig contributes to the Dodgers in the postseason, he'll take away two with fundamental mistakes or something like that. And uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not really not really the case tonight. He 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 did an unwritten rules violation. He did a rookie mistake, and he still helped the Dodgers win the game because he hit a triple and drove in drove in a run. And he's good at baseball. So, um, so do you? Oh, I'm I'm watching it now. Do you think that he kept his arm up to try to <laughs> like camouflage what he was doing? Like, uh, like I, I was doing it. I meant to do this all along. I'm just really into triples. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I'm not sure if that was it or whether he still had some hope that it was going to go out and he could just sort of seamlessly continue to celebrate. Um, yeah, that is pretty embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But but who cares? Oh, and okay, so Wainwright, Wainwright's complaining about Adrian Gonzalez, uh, who did a... He doubled at some point, I think, and at, on second base, he just did a very emphatic celebration toward the Dodgers bench, arm pumping and that sort of thing. I, I don't know. I mean, nothing... Nothing that we haven't seen a hundred times before. I tell you what, when when Juan Uribe put on that bear costume and then went over to the Cardinals dugout, though, <laughs> yeah, that was too that much. was across the line. Yeah, uh, that was yeah. So, um, do you have any feelings about Ricky Nolasco pitching? Um, eh, I don't know. Uh, is that is it confirmed? That's, that is this is this is already the third hottest take I've ever gotten. <laughs> out of um, I I expected them to go back to Granky if they lost this game. Uh, and, oh. and we don't, do we know for sure that they're not? Is it, is it official? Uh, he, I don't know. I don't know. He Twitter official. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I, I guess I would probably go back to Granky if it were me, but I don't feel that strongly about it. So if Granky pitches on short rest, then Kershaw pitches on short rest too. Yeah. And then you either have to go back to... Ryu on short rest? I mean, you'd have to use Nolasco. Uh, that's Ryu. You'd three, to... uh, three, four, five, six space. No, Ryu would pitch on full rest. Uh-huh. But then would you have to In use Nolasco? Oh, seven? wait. Yeah, no. Sorry. Yeah. You would... No, yeah. Ryu would... I- I'm wrong. Ryu would pitch on short rest and then in the... game six. And then Nolasco in game seven? Four, five, six space. Well, and then Granky on short rest, presumably. Mm-hmm. So you'd basically be having four guys pitch on short rest uh, in order to keep from having Nolasco ever throw a pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems extreme. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, they're when Mattingly said that if they were facing elimination, if they were down three zero, then he'd go to Granky. I think he said that. Um, so now that they're they're down two one, but not facing elimination, I'd I'd probably still do it. Um, but I don't know. We talked about the the postseason starters and the short rest and and the stats with those guys not being so great. So uh. yeah, I mean, it, having doing it so that you can get Kershaw instead of Nolasco in basically a one game swap mm-hmm. seems defensible. But having all four of your guys, mm-hmm. all four of your starts be on short rest, mm-hmm. uh, seems a bit extreme. I, I don't see how you can do that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I would really want Ricky Nolasco. I mean, it really is kind of amazing that the Dodgers can spend $220 million 
and have it pretty much go well for them, and yet they still have Ricky Nolasco uh, pitching for them when yeah. they need a win. I mean, it's it's an incredible sport. Like oh. I, I tend to I tend to think with the like with the Dodgers, uh, my first response when they start winning is like, oh Jesus, it's so pathetic. It's just baseball, like always. You know, one team goes and spends all this money and goes and buys a championship. I feel bitter. I feel cold toward them. And then I realized, no, it's just it's really hard to keep a baseball team together. And if you can spend the money, every team would if they could. Mm-hmm. And it's it's still super duper hard. I mean, it kind of makes me feel like bad for them that that they can't do more. Like <laughs> it's it's impossible this dumb sport. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Ricky Nolasco as a fourth starter is not that bad, really. I mean. It's, would you rather have Lance Lynn in Game Four? I mean, that's that's who the Cardinals are starting. I wouldn't say that that he's any better. You wouldn't say that? Mm, probably not. Huh. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Nolasco was was good this year, right? Except for the, I mean, he he tanked at the end there. His last uh, three starts, it was he he had three bad starts to end the season. Before that, his ERA was like three point one. I mean. He's he's yeah. he's Nolasco. He's I mean he's not that good. He's he's been a below league average starter for the last few years, uh, but he's not he's not an embarrassment as a four starter. I don't. I mean he certainly had a better season than Lynn, and it's he did have a better season than Lynn this year, and Lynn had a better season last year and the year before. Although the year before wasn't much for Lynn, so I guess yeah, I I, I guess I'm sort of thinking that. Nolasco is probably the pitcher that we saw last year, mm-hmm. not this year, and Lynn is probably the pitcher we saw last year, not this year. Mm-hmm. But I don't really have a great reason to say that. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of surprising that that Shelby Miller is not a factor here. Mm-hmm. He's just not not being used at all. You would think. Uh, I can understand why you would start Kelly. I, mean, I don't think that Kelly is as good as his ERA says he is, but. Um, You'd still think, and I, I don't think the Cardinals have really said why Miller isn't pitching. So there's been some speculation that it's maybe his his innings count or fatigue. Or uh, I think I, I read something just sort of. Uh, I, I think he lost some velocity toward the end of the season. And was probably just fatigue, uh, and they don't want to push him and they don't want to risk him. Um, which is understandable, I suppose, but uh, it seems like he's he he hasn't pitched in a couple. I mean, he basically has has been able to rest. I, I'm surprised yeah. that that he's not strong again. I mean, clearly mm-hmm. when he was strong, he was you know one of their three or four best pitchers. He was their second yes. best pitcher. Sure. And so I wonder how long he needs to to chill out. I mean, it's been 20 days since he started a game. Mm-hmm. You you would think that the arm would be strong. I mean, he wasn't that good in September, mm-hmm. so it it made sense that he wouldn't be there maybe in the division series. And I don't know how it works, um, but I would think that if they threw him out there tomorrow, he probably would have some 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 gas. Especially, I mean, with with the adrenaline and it's mm-hmm. you know it's the one start he has to make in the series, so you're not like going back to him necessarily right away and. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's the fourth guy, you get one start out of him in the LCS, one start out of him in the World Series. I'm surprised. Like, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying he could do it. I'm surprised that he can't. If, if that's the case. Yeah, me too. And he he is on the roster, 
which is he is which yeah is sort of and, strange and it, if you're gonna carry well, him. Well, the Cardinals if the Cardinals had a worse bullpen, you might say, oh, you know, they're they're getting good value out of him. He'll mm-hmm. be this like incredible eighth inning guy, but they don't need that. They they have the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, someone just left a comment on at BP on Zachary Levine's recap of ALCS Game Two, and said. I'm disappointed in all the strikeouts and low-scoring games this postseason. I remember 1968 and not fondly. Pitchers are dominating and the games are not as interesting. Every time a hitter gets two strikes, I almost expect a strikeout. I love the game, but give me more offense. Anyone else on board? Are you on board? I'm not, but that's just personal taste. I I totally understand why it is boring to some people. Yeah, um, I've enjoyed it. Pitcher's duels are, are fun. Um, I like strikeouts more than almost anything. So Yeah, me too. Although as... I like strikeouts and I like walks. So <laughs> Yeah, well, as we've discussed, it it could get to a point where it's overkill, I think. Um, I don't know if this is it, though, for me. <laughs> I still, still like the strikeouts. still like to see Jansen and Rosenthal come in and just blow everyone away. Um, but I could see how that would be tiresome to some people balls in play are, are also exciting uh i can only i can only think of two games that have been that have had comebacks and i there have certainly been more than that but in my mind i can only think of really two games where one team jumped out to a lead and then didn't win i'm mm-hmm. thinking of the game yesterday obviously and the uh game four of the ace tiger series where dan straley had a three-run lead and then and then blew it i mean there we've talked about where the, that point is, where the strikeouts get to be too much, and, and it, it was where a three-run lead feels insurmountable. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if I'm just selectively remembering, but it does feel like the games are pretty much locked down at this point mm-hmm. if you get a lead. Yeah, it does, and that's that's probably not a good thing if that were the case. Um, could you? I, I wonder what the you you don't have any idea what the strikeout rate. Like the the league average strikeout rate this this postseason has been, do you? Is there a quick way to look that up? Because um, I wonder if this is sort of a a preview of which way the the game is is going. Um, and and Zach kind of made that point when he was talking about the the Tigers strikeout staff versus like the Red Sox strikeout offense and. Uh, how it was sort of a, a preview of what's to come in baseball if the trend continues towards more strikeouts. Um, and maybe you could say the whole postseason is like that uh, because it's a bunch of really good pitchers and hard-throwing staffs and maybe managers being more willing to bring in relievers or, or to use starters in the bullpen. And so this is sort of a, a preview of... of how things would be during the regular season if the trend continued upward. Mm-hmm. Are you are you clicking around to see if you can find something? Not very effectively. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not getting anything. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so what? Where do you stand on these two series right now? Do you do you have any feelings about um, who's going to win what? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right. Well, I'm going to go with the, the team that's winning one series. I'm just going to stick my neck out and, and take the one that has a, a game lead. Um, 
And as for the other series, I I don't know. I would have I would have predicted the Tigers if I had been previewing that that series. Uh, so I see no reason to to change my my pre-series pick at this point. Sounds good. I'll take that to the bank. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, are we finished? Yeah. Yeah. I'll talk to you tomorrow. All right. And tomorrow will be email show, maybe, unless we decide to talk playoffs. So send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com.